episode 115, Marketing Advice for Providers. Today, I speak with Lonnie Hirsch from Hirsch Healthcare Consulting. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Reimbursement is certainly an incentive for providers. And it's no secret that if a provider is gunning for maximum reimbursement, payer mix matters. And so does the number and types of procedures, tests, etc. that the provider performs. A provider can leave it to chance or be proactive about attracting the patients with certain payers and for certain procedures. Today, I speak with Lonnie Hirsch from Hirsch Healthcare Consulting about what marketing looks like during these interesting times we live in. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Lonnie. Thank you, Stacey. Glad to be here. Why do providers need to market themselves or their organizations in 2016? Well, that's a good question. There are multiple reasons. I guess the first thing I would say is the competition is really intense now. You can't afford to be invisible. If you're not visible, you know, whether your audience is patients or the audience is referring physicians or local businesses, whatever it may be, if you're not visible with a compelling and differentiating value proposition, then uh, you're going to lose market share and somebody else is going to gain at your expense. So really, whether it's independent medical groups who are just trying to survive independently or hospitals that have aggregated into these bigger health systems, they all need to communicate and keep their differentiated brand value top of mind as much as they can. Does this vary by specialty? In other words, would a specialist of some ilk have more of a need to be marketing right now than, say, a PCP? Most of the specialties now are marketing or need to market, even if it's just to maintain and grow their market share of referral sources. Even if they're getting most of their business from uh, referrals from doctors, they still need to market. The ones that may want to also educate the market to drive interest in something that the general patient population doesn't really understand, that might be another reason to market their particular service or a particular program. I can think of an example of a client I'm working with right now in California, and they're a vascular business. And one of the conditions that they treat is peripheral arterial disease. They also treat something called deep vein thrombosis, which are blood clots that form in the legs that can be really dangerous. So most patients don't even know what symptoms might be indicating that. And so in addition to educating their referring physician network, they uh, market directly to the general public to raise the education level on things that people might not think to have checked out that the better understanding they might want to make sure that they get checked out. I'm going to say in quotes, air quotes, normal marketing. And when I say normal marketing, I mean in every other space beyond 
healthcare, <laughs> you'd figure out what you want to advertise. I'm going to suggest a lot based on profit margin. So in other words, if I'm Starbucks, say, and I make the most money on drinks with lots of squirts or toppings and things, you know, most of my marketing is going to go into enticing squirts and toppings and larger sizes. How does a provider figure out what services to market? In other words, in that example that you just said relative to the card practice and, and DVT, why did they decide to market that instead of coming for checkout? This particular business wants to get specific types of conditions, whether it's the doctor's referring or a patient self-referring because they understand that they have a problem and this is the place that has the expertise to help them take care of that problem. So if you think about it using your Starbucks example, sometimes the reimbursement level is very much in the mindset of the marketing hospital or marketing medical group based on the mix of business they want to see that may be more profitable for the time spent. I know that sounds mercenary, but just in terms of running a business, it can be financially motivated, profit motivated, but it can also be something that that particular business feels they really do well that makes a really positive health impact in the community and they want to be known for that. What's the formula here? Do you have some sort of three-step process by which you help someone strategize about what to market and what the business impact will be? Well, yeah, it's not different really in that respect uh, than marketing in other industries. You look at the type of business and the mix of business that you want. You identify the target audience that seems to fit the profile of customer for that particular service. And then you tailor your messages and the way that you market the marketing channels of communication toward that particular audience. You have to go after what you want. And people are not going to be inclined to remember very much about your messages because there's no, at least nobody in the healthcare industry other than the pharmaceutical companies have the deep pockets to get the amount of repetition that's just going to make you constantly top of mind. So you have to be really specific toward a particular audience with a particular problem or need and that way you have a better chance to get the attention and response from that particular uh, audience segment. Do you have an example of someone doing that very well? You know, someone deciding, for example, that they would like a certain type of patient, maybe with a certain reimbursement or some other quality that they were seeking and marketing specifically to it. One example I could suggest that comes to mind is there is a technology that is now fairly ubiquitous, but it's really only been around for a few years, and it's called 3D mammography. And that is something that is not just a direct reimbursement profit margin consideration. It's mostly promoted by hospitals, but it is also a front door into cancer care services that a hospital provides as well as a front door to other women's health services that a hospital provides. For example, there's a really good campaign out there right now by Advocate Healthcare out of Chicago. And it's uh, specifically about 
their 3D mammography program, and they call this campaign Stories of the Girls. And it's really interesting because it's very relatable to their specific target audience that they're trying to reach, which is primarily women uh, over the age of 40. And it has lots of video patient stories from breast cancer survivors, and it's very high-touch type of campaign approach. Their objective there is, number one, to really have another doorway to help cancer patients and to provide other women's health services. And as long as they can find that the actual 3D mammography service is not unprofitable, it's not a loss leader, then um, it's a good way for them to tap into a target audience. Are there other front doors? Are there other, let's just say, entry points, ways to attract patients for step one to get them in the system? Well, the biggest entry point now for sure is urgent care. And you'll see it's such a competitive category, but the uh, hospitals and health systems all have urgent care clinics now, or almost all of them do. And there are good business reasons for that because it is a front door for many patients for all kinds of healthcare conditions and services. And uh, we're living in a society of short attention spans, immediate gratification. I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. All of those issues, plus you have everyone pretty much under the age of 40 using urgent care instead of having a relationship with a family doctor, because they, unless they really have regular chronic recurring medical problems, they don't see the need to have a regular doctor. They get sick or they feel bad or they hurt themselves. If it's not like emergency room level of injury, they're looking for a place that can get them in now with or without an appointment. And that's usually urgent care. All right. So I'm making a list, Lonnie. Reasons why or things that you want to market toward are patients who might have higher reimbursement or services that might have higher reimbursement. And then also you might want to market services that get people into the network to begin with so that hopefully you can have a profitable and productive relationship with those individuals moving forward, i.e. testing or urgent care. So here's my next question. Is there another element that I need to add to my front door list before we move on? I guess it's not a front door, but it's related to a front door because with urgent care growth, you're seeing an association with telemedicine. And, uh, you know, notwithstanding the, all the current reimbursement limitations that are going to evolve, you're starting to see more making it easier for a patient to get care whether they can come in or not is something that's driving a lot of what I guess we could call front door marketing. Just in general, what marketing messages are appealing these days? I mean, I know you said we've, we're dealing with a consumer who is everything that you just said and more, completely distracted, short attention span. They want what they want, when they want it, they want it now. They want to text, they don't want to talk. So right. given all of those factors, what messages are appealing? Obviously, convenience is appealing. And that particularly in healthcare includes quick access. So same-day appointments or quick appointments or come in without an appointment, something that, again, caters to the immediate issue that may motivate someone to seek healthcare. That's a big issue that's being marketed a lot, assuming you can deliver on it. 
And then the other issue they have to consider is out-of-pocket cost to the patient. So patients are now, most people who have uh, health insurance now, uh, whether they get it through their employer or individual insurance through the healthcare exchanges or however they get it, they have higher deductible plans. Even if the premiums may or may not be all that high, some of the plans it's high premium and high deductible. But just the fact that if I'm employed by a company and the company's increasingly wanting to shift more of the financial burden of healthcare to me, the employee, one of the ways they do that is whatever health plans they offer me as an employee all come with a high deductible. And that means I'm much more sensitized to fishing into my pocket or into my wallet to actually pay cash for health care, at least in the early part of the year. And in some cases, depending on how high the deductible is, it can be substantially far into the year. So whereas uh, I'll give you an example, MRI used to be that if a doctor recommended that somebody needs to get an MRI, they would say, well, where should I go? And the doctor says, well, go over here or the hospital next door has one or they'll suggest a place for the patient to go and that's where the patient goes. Well, now a lot of more patients who are told they need an MRI and realizing that their out-of-pocket cost could be significant are calling around to different MRI centers and asking, how much is it going to cost me based on if I have a high deductible and I've got to pay cash for this? And they're making decisions not just based on where their doctor may have pointed them, but uh, what they're concerned about in terms of cost of healthcare, which obviously never used to be the case. I have actually interviewed, not for a while, but maybe last year I interviewed someone who runs a, a website comparing costs in a local geography. You can type in, I need an MRI, and they will give you the lowest cost facilities in the area. Although one thing that was noted there is that that's very relevant to commodity types of services. Right. And the other thing that that doesn't hit is just simply someone's copay. If I have a copay for a doctor visit, the copay is what the copay is. It's not necessarily going to change. That's correct. It's not so it's not so much an issue of the copay. That's it's a constant no matter where you go. And there uh, the patients are used to what their copay may be for their particular plan that they're on. But it's the deductible issue that keeps coming up. And I can use myself as a real world example because I have a high deductible plan. And in 2015, I never even satisfied the deductible. So essentially, I was paying a not insignificant monthly premium for the privilege of paying cash for pretty much all the health care that I accessed <laughs> that year. And that's starting to become more and more of an issue with more and more U.S. citizens. And so the price sensitivity is much more acute. They say that healthcare is the only industry, which, you know, when I was putting the air quotes in normal, this is why healthcare is abnormal. This is the way I've heard it put. Healthcare is the only industry where one person orders the dinner, someone else eats it, and someone pays for it. Right. <laughs> so. that's, a, that's a really good example. But here's here's my question for you. This has confounded me since day one. What are the four P's of marketing, right? Price? There are actually seven now. 
Oh, well, I'm I'm old school. But whether there's four or seven. Right, right. The first one's price, right? Well, yeah, it's up there near the top. I would would put the first one as the product because that's really your ultimate differentiating value. But price is right there with it. Humor me here. First or second for a reason. Because price is a really big deal in marketing implicitly or explicitly. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it, all brands have a price point embedded in them. If I think about the department store Target, you know, you instantly think, well, okay, I know how Target compares to someplace on Fifth Avenue. You know, I can get more design stuff, but I'm not paying Fifth Avenue prices. Otherwise, I would just go to Fifth Avenue, right? If price wasn't an object. Or Costco. You know, I can get higher quality stuff, but it's a lower price per unit. Or if I think about like Walmart versus Kohl's versus Macy's, price might be arguably the biggest differentiator between those stores. So mm-hmm. if I think about it relative to healthcare, I mean, my copay is what my copay is, at least for my doctor visit. My price is the same whether I go to some rundown shack on the outskirts of town and wait two hours for my service, or if I waltz into some ritzy facility in midtown Manhattan and I am immediately offered water with a lemon. You know what I mean? Like I'm only paying the same copay. So here's my question for you. How does marketing change given the fact that the very important variable or the very important P of price is off the table relative to physician services. Putting aside the issue that we just finished talking about in terms of where price is felt by the consumer, let's say you've got a patient who doesn't have a high deductible plan or they've satisfied their deductible, so now they're just dealing with their co-pays. And uh, like you said, they can be the same copay no matter where I access the care. That's why the other differentiators in terms of why go to the Fifth Avenue facility versus the one in some more rundown neighborhood is very often the issue of convenience. Again, a lot of it is who can get me in sooner? And that is increasingly a driver of decisions. It's not the only one. Obviously, people in terms of healthcare and directly related to how serious their health problem is, you know, are looking for competence and, and quality of care. But everybody promotes that. Everybody says they're high quality in terms of their care. And so that's rarely a, a differentiator for their brand unless your brand is uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering or MD Anderson Cancer Center in that cancer category. Uh, and even Even those two, and they're premier organizations, they have a lot of competition from aggressive marketers like Cancer Treatment Centers of America that's on TV all the time all over the country. So the issue of competence and quality of care, everybody's going to say that. And so unless you already have that level of reputation that people just automatically know that, they tend to assume that the quality of care is going to be favorable or at least similar wherever they're going to go to access it. So they uh, they opt for who can get me in sooner. I recently interviewed Paul Rosen from Nemours, and he is in charge of patient excellence over at his hospital. 
one of the things that they're very focused on is patient experience once someone shows up in the hospital. What's the quality of the physician interaction and, and staff interaction? Is everyone friendly and happy? And what are the wait times? Was it, it was something that also bubbled to the top. I find it very interesting that you didn't mention those things. Do you think that those efforts are less important for marketing and more important for the second visit, like less important to gain customers, but more important to keep them? Or like, how are you connecting those dots, if at all? I would in the respect that if you think about other criteria from which patients make a decision about who to go to, besides convenience of location or convenience of quick access, patients are more and more looking at the same kind of online review sites that we look at when we're trying to decide what restaurant to go to or what hotel to go to. It's becoming a lot more common. So the issue of patient experience, partly that's driven by governmental guidelines that institutions get graded on and that that affect their reimbursement. But uh, the other part of patient experience is how does patient experience allow us to have a better online reputation where patients might be looking. You raise a really interesting point that I was kind of lying in wait to bring up, which, okay. <laughs> which is the online reviews. In the past, marketing, as we all know, was very unidirectional. As you had a brand and they said stuff. Now it's anything but unidirectional. I mean, the, the patients can talk back and third parties can weigh in. Someone's brand is not simply what they say it is. Someone's brand is what the community agrees on to a large extent. How do you feel providers need to take that whole element on board I know you said that it's not a differentiator just now. Everyone just sort of assumes that the quality of care is there. So are social media sites, when people are reviewing their physicians, are they not talking necessarily about, well, my stitches healed really well, or after my heart attack, I was back on my feet really? It's, is that not often the content of those reviews, or is the other things matter more, or straighten me out here? If you think about online reviews, people who are having a negative experience with service business, doesn't matter what category. You don't need to encourage them to vent their frustrations and disappointments by going online and posting something negative about their experience. They just automatically want to do that. But it doesn't mean that people who are having good experiences automatically have the same motivation to share that positive experience. They're happy to have it, but it doesn't mean that it's instinctively something they're they're going to share. So there's two things that that brings up as it relates to marketing. One is you better have a business model that does shape positive versus negative patient experiences as much as you can. And then you have to make it really easy for the happy patients to go online and and say something positive. Because they're going to need that extra little push and that extra ease of doing it that the people who are negative aren't going to even worry about. They're just going to go on and and vent. One thing that you had mentioned early on that I neglected to follow up on, so I'm going to take this opportunity to redress, is how you are marketing to referring 
providers? Is there just some sort of maybe overarching top line? What are the most important things or that you tend to do or, or advice you tend to give relative to gaining referrals from local physicians? The real major business driver in that category is consistent personal contact. It's not just going in and saying, hey, how are things going? How are we doing? What can we do better? That's part of it. Uh, but consistency also means every time that I'm coming in as a marketing representative of a healthcare institution to a doctor's office, I'm hopefully bringing some topic or some educational information that helps that doctor or the, the uh, that particular group provide that much better healthcare to their patients. And from that education, I'm likely to, if I've done a good job with it, I'm likely to get more referrals when those patients have the specific problems that our business treats. So it's constant communication, education, reminding them of who, when, where, why, how to refer. Does that look like you drop by every now and then? Or is it a phone call or you see each other at the local convention or at the club? Or what, what does that look like day to day? Yeah, the easy answer might be all of those. But I would say that most of it, that appears to be most effective, there's no shortcut for the feet on the street and the personal contact. It doesn't mean that there's not also communication through email. Sometimes these medical groups that are specialists will put on a an event or a symposium for doctors on a particular topic or topics that the physicians in the community might really find interesting or important to understand, and they, they make a connection or reinforce a connection that way. But if you think about it in terms of customers, and the way that either hospitals or the more sophisticated medical groups that are using these reps, uh, they usually call them something like a physician liaison or physician relations representative to go in or make that recurring contact. They um, segregate their offices based on what they want and who's referring to them now and how much referrals they're getting of the things that they want. And that's how they decide how often to go in, who they're going to talk to or try to talk to when they do go in, or are they going to be able to bring in lunch and do a little in-service on a particular topic that referring physician office would find useful, or whatever it is that continues to add value. And I guess the distinction that I, I always try to make clear with my clients is there's a big difference in terms of being perceived by that referring medical office as a solicitor of their business, another sales rep coming in trying to sell them something or get them to do something, and positioning your business as a useful resource for them and their patients to make the process better and easier and more user-friendly to get the patient the best quality of care and make it the most efficient and time-efficient process for that doctor or that group. Sage advice, my friend. So if someone is interested in learning more about Hirsch Healthcare Consulting, where can they go? They can go to my website. It's a good place to start because it's got all my contact information. And so the website domain is hirschhealthconsulting.com. Fantastic. I thank you so much for being on the podcast, Bonnie. Stacy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. 
Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.